Hey. Just a quick notice that Zon in Canada is now on the iTunes store and on SoundCloud. If possible, please subscribe to the show through those platforms, and maybe leave a quick rating or review while you're at it. The podcast will still be uploaded onto the blog at zonin.ca as well. In this episode, I'm once again joined by Randy Forbester, and we're interviewing the one and only Phil Guerrero, a name that should be familiar to you if you grew up in the 90s, unless of course you were part of some kind of cult that didn't allow you to watch television. Also, if you're listening to this at work, please note that this episode has a lot more swearing than usual. So... Enjoy. Uh, I'm going to have more of a Shia LaBeouf life and a, a Bill Murray life. Like somebody reached out to me on Facebook. is like, my best friend's having his birthday. It'd be great if you showed up. I fucking showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be that guy. He's like, we're going back to the house. <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, fuck it. Hey, let's turn it up. Was, was he happy? <laughs> oh, dude, this thing, yeah, I was so surprised, this kid, like, apparently, I met him, like, maybe five years ago, and and the girl, this girl at the party's like, you know, you met him five years ago, like, I don't know if you remember, and it is hard for me to remember, I gotta tell you, like, I'm meeting, you know, it's it's weird, guys, like, honestly, the only time I don't get recognized is if I stay home all day, and once I leave the house, it, it happens, like, I won't kid you, it's like, are you that guy, and like, and I'll be walking around with, like, a baseball hat on and a fucking hoodie up. It's like PJ film. What the fuck? Really? Hey, you know, it's pretty wild. But yeah, I want to have more of that in my life. I'm going to start showing up at people's parties and, you know, start living a bit again. And so I'm embracing the PJ Phil thing. I have no problem with it. It meant a lot to people and, you know, and it was a big part of my life. And let's let's do it. throughout most of the 90s was host of YTV's after school block The Zone. He also hosted several programs on the station such as Anti-Gravity Room, Gamers, and there was one more, wasn't there, Phil? There was um for a little while there was a show called uh, oh my gosh, what was it called? Warp. 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 Oh yeah. I like that one. All that was was um it was Anti-Gravity Room without the US funding because there was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a co-pro like anti-gravity room was a co-production with sci-fi channel and which was part of USA networks in the states and that's where they showed it out there and um i think wait, how many seasons of anti-gravity room were there i don't know like two or three or something I like that i think you had at least there were at least four okay um, there you go yeah. four oh man that's and, so bad and if i recall correctly the the last couple were not funded by sci-fi um, they no, it was still a copro. If it was anti gravity room, it was still it was still with them. Um, and then when uh, when that was over with, like four seasons of a show is a good life anyway, you know, especially in the U.S. So um, we just did warp, and then we added Paul, and that's what that's what warp was. It was just a Canadian anti gravity room, and then we threw Paul in there because it was the same crew, same writers. If you saw the style of the show, it was the same kind of sense of humor and. You know, so to me, it was just still anti-gravity room. You guys got pretty creative with that one, if, if I recall. Yeah, you know, um, you know when I, when I look back at it, you know, when I, when I did it, dude, I was just doing it. And I would just, like, get the scripts and I'd be like, okay, you know, whatever. But when I look at it now, it was really sort of ahead of its time, I have to say. Like, dude, we're doing, like, um, you know, takeoffs on 
um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. We had themes like that. And, you know, and I'm actually speaking for anti-gravity room and warp, you know. So it was a pretty advanced sort of thinking to me. And um, and the thing is, like, even even if you guys are young, you'll get it. Like, you'll at least get the context of what was going on. And I wonder if how many... Um, you know, former kids who hadn't seen, you know, um, Urban Cowboy, or not Urban Cowboy, or like, you know, these these movies that we were referencing that were so kind of off, like, now in your adulthood, you see them and think, wow, that's what they were doing, like, you know? Yeah, it's like with The Simpsons, when you go back and watch it as an adult, you, you start to click in and all these references, and in some ways it can kind of change your perspective of the show, but usually in a good way. Yeah, it's always a cool thing, like, oh, that's what they were talking about, oh, that's hilarious, you know? With me, I never had that. I was always an adult. Even The Simpsons, I was an adult. I'm a little bit older. But I know what you're saying, totally. Yeah, in terms of being ahead of, ahead of its time, I guess you can compare it to a lot of the sort of YouTube personality or YouTube review shows we see now, like, I don't know, Red Letter Media or something like that, where they just sort of engage with the, the material but kind of do their own goofy shit on top of it, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't seen it, but I think I know what you're talking about. It's, it's just like this sort of irreverent, you know, um, you know, television today feels like, and, and this is what was happening with YTV and is why, why I left. Like um, all television hosting and everything eventually became a commercial. You know what I mean? Like even now it's not, it, you don't feel like there's like, oh, he might say fuck. You know, you know, that'll never happen anymore. Because every word is watched, like these girls on, on camera. Now they do this thing like, I like to call entertainment hands. Entertainment Tonight hands. Yeah. You know, when they're talking about Brad Pitt and their hands are always doing this thing that goes back in repose and it's like a, you know what I mean? Like, it's so fake. Like, everything's really fake now. And with us, at least you felt like, you know, this guy's just talking. You don't get that anymore. Even with the VJs, like, that's, that's all gone now. And I think that that's why, like, TV hosting is, has, isn't an, an entertaining uh, form of expression anymore on television, except for, say, like talk shows, you know, like late night talk shows. That's the last vestige of it, you know. When you first started at YTV back in, I think, 1991, mm-hmm. uh, with when it was just the after school zone and was first being launched as like a replacement for just PSAs and stuff like that. I mean, did did serious conceptual thinking go into the role of a PJ or was it just you know, let's throw this guy on camera and see what happens. Just Yeah, um, well, the whole reason why PJs happened was because when YTV got its license for, for Canada's first kids network, you know, the CRTC had pretty stringent um, rules about advertising and children. So what happened was we were only allowed to show a certain amount of commercials in the half hour, but we had all these American shows that were made for a lot of commercials. You know what I mean? Do you notice that in the U.S.? Like, oh, yeah. Commercials are super, like, you could go for, you, you know, you could go take a shit and come back and it's still a commercial, right? So um, they needed a way to fill that time. And if you remember, it used to just be these, like, little electronic sort of cartoons. You know what I mean? Or, like... Like this music montage of kids taking ballet. Like, do you remember those? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, and they mostly run into the ground completely. I think all of the PSAs still run today, which is kind of crazy. Like I, I'd watch a show of just those, like for like a half hour. <laughs> like honestly, like I'm sure they're all on YouTube too, and people seek them out, you know. But um, with stuff like the short circuits, the sort of nostalgic craze that people have over that is kind of. Kind of ridiculous, but I guess understandable. 
Uh, no, I run a Saturday morning cartoons panel at the local convention for anime here, and all the short circuits and all the PSAs always get a really big reaction when when uh, I play them. Yeah, they evoke emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, especially with childhood, you know what I noticed with you guys is like, do you notice like it's really nostalgic now for the 90s? It's just, you know, if you compare it to like four years ago, you know, I've noticed like this year and last year, every week there's like some BuzzFeed or you guys or Narcity, you know, top 20, whatever, 90s, you know, signs you were Canadian in your 20s, uh, you know, like. All of that. And um, I feel it strong, like, recently, which is, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I know, you know, but like, the, let's, let's figure this out. Let's figure the math out on this. What is the wheelhouse of this, of, like, say, when I was on? Like, I was on between 1990 and 2001, which pretty much was amazing because it's, like, the beginning and the end of a decade, which was great. It, wasn't, it was a defining decade, you know, that 90s. It wasn't like between 95 and 2005, which is kind of blurred. So I had that decade. So anyone who watched at that time was maybe from like, what, 8 till maybe 15, you know. So there's like a, this, this wheelhouse of, well, so you guys are what, 25 to 35 or something now? Yeah. yeah. And most of the people listening to this are probably into that demographic as well. Okay, so you're, you're this time in your life... It's pretty amazing. Like in your twenties, you might still be not over yourself, you know. You know, you're still insecure and stuff like. And then in your thirties, you sort of get over yourself. You're like, you know what? Wow, like I'm just a grain of sand for a nanosecond on this planet. And then that's when you really start to sort of enjoy life. So um, I think what's going on with you guys is, you know, you're paying rent, you're paying cell phone bills, and life's just kind of caught up on caught up to you. And all that shit, all the um, your parents were telling you is like now coming true and i can see you guys even being like the old fogies too like you young kids can't read you know like i see that happening (laughs) i make a point of doing that sometimes yeah exactly like you guys are disgusted with the generation before you because it's this horrible kardashian money hungry um entitled like i see it right so you guys really feel a sense of nostalgia because you hate these young kids you're paying these like bills and rent and life's not so fun anymore so the 90s reminds you of a time when your mother made your food and your laundry was done and you had nothing going on you didn't have the internet to deal with and life was great it was like cartoons and baseball and the cne or like you know whatever like here it was like the cne which was like a you know like those summer things with the roller coasters and stuff like life was really simple so of course you of course you guys feel good when you're reminded of that because life now kind of it's just it's very weird you know, and unnerving, you know, like, look at Facebook. It's like, oh, cops are shooting kids and kids are shooting cops. It's just, it's, you know, you guys are inundated with just bad news because that's what sells, you know. And I don't know. That's kind of my take on it. Like, nostalgia is kind of good. I think I think we should kind of go back to VJs and like live TV and just, you know. You bring up things like BuzzFeed. It's like you and, you know, everything else we associate with that era just seems to be coming up constantly. And I noticed they, they keep using that same picture of you and Snit all the time, too. Where you God, just, dude. <laughs> are you, are you sick had, of that yet? Oh, if I had known when that, like, there were so many pictures taken. If I had known, you know, like, I would have... Oh. God, no, I don't know. It's just, yeah, that one, that one, when I see it, I say the same thing to myself or just people. I say, that photo will haunt me for the rest <laughs> of my life. And it will be here 
after I'm gone. <laughs> you know, like it's like, and I'm over it, but that's the reality of that stupid picture. And I don't know what I'm doing with my hands. Like, I don't know what gang I think I'm in. I was whatever. trying to think of a way to describe it, but yeah, a gang sign. <laughs> yeah, and let's, let's, probably make a good way chin. to put it. Yeah, double chin and stupid, like, just what the, f- you know, <laughs> I don't know. But hey, it's okay because that's what, that's what that was. Listen, I signed a million of those things, <laughs> you know, in the 90s. So they're out there, they're, they're everywhere. Because everybody, like, people have them. <laughs> you know, if you wrote in, you got sent that one. At, at the time, when you, were, when you were hosting The Block, I mean, did you have, you or anyone else have any sense of just how culturally significant it was or would be in the future? God, you know, um, no, not no. really. Absolutely not. I was, I was, you know, it's strange for me because it's not like I could see everybody out there. It's not like it was an audience of a few, you know, all you guys. When I was presenting, I was in a room with a cameraman and um, a master control guy in my ear. And all I would try and do is entertain them, you know, because that's all I could do. I I was just always really just trying to make the cameraman laugh. Then I know, do you know what I mean? But if you approach it that way, then it's like that old adage, just talk like you're talking to someone, you know, that advice on camera, like talk into the lens like you're talking. You know, I had no choice. Like that's, that's what I had to do because I mean... Otherwise, because I had long segments, man, like sometimes they go like six minutes. So I needed some kind of input from from whoever's listening. So, I mean, that's what that was, but it worked because then at least I'm just being myself. And I think that's what you guys felt. There was no bullshit like, hi, everybody. All right, we're back. And hey, guess what? You know, like I wouldn't talk like that. And I would I would I would mess up. You know, I'd, I'd screw up. I would mispronounce a word or something and it would be OK. You know, I remember a lot of parents would come up to me and that was one thing that they would say. They would say like, you know, what's great is that you would teach the kids that it's okay to make mistakes. And I never even thought about it. But yeah, I didn't care about it because I had been doing it for so long too. Like if I was nervous like that, it was only like in the first year, you know, out of 11. So imagine by the 11th year, you're just like, was that your first time on television? What what were you doing before that? Um, well, the, the, the YTV thing was kind of interesting. Like, um, it actually started in my last year of high school. I, um, and YTV was maybe a year old and my best friend at the time at, at, um, who I met in private school, um, was in TV all his life, you know, did commercials, hosted a show called the Kangazoo Club, like an eighties, you know, uh, show where they'd go to African lines far and it was just like animal based. So this guy was in his in TV all his life, and he hated it. So his one of the last things he did was co-host the show called YTV Rocks in '89, in like their first year and one of their first like productions, and it was like a magazine format show. So they needed another co-host. And I auditioned for that. I was 17, I think, when I auditioned, and I didn't get it. But they said, "Hey, man, you know, like, would you like to uh, do some?" reporting for us like just do a couple of news reports for the for the show and i was like sure you know like i'm you know 18 or whatever and that was actually the first time i was on television actually no the first time i was on television i was 12 years old and it was it was owl tv and i think i was 12 and i built a a totem pole for the museum here in toronto if i ever find that tape i would die (laughs) 
<laughs> and I, I, that's really the first time. But those, 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 um, those reports that I did for the show called YTV Rocks, I actually uploaded on YouTube. They're there because I found those tapes. And um, where I'm working now, finally got a, an SP machine, like these Betacam um, SP machines, which those tapes play in. And I could finally digitize it. So I actually uploaded them on YouTube. And it's like an interview with LA Guns, that, band, that metal band, and like a couple of album reviews, and like what shoes are cool, and a music school. Like if you guys want to see that, it's, it's there. You could probably put a link to it, you know. Um, yeah, so that, that was really the first time. And then I went away to university for a year, totally flunked out of there because I was in Montreal. And what do you do when you throw a 19-year-old in like 3 a.m. last call and your parents are sending you money? Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, so that, that was over with. And then YTV called me again um, when I got back from university. And I was about to tell my parents I wasn't going back. So that was going to be really bad. And they called me. So I was like, oh. And I auditioned for The Hit List, which, you know, they ended up giving that to Tarzan Dan. And I also auditioned for a uh, reporter for a show called Street Noise, which got canceled. So they called me and they said, look, you didn't get this one and we're canceling the show. But there's this thing we do called PJs that goes on until 3.30. And we're going to try doing it in the afternoons between 3.30 and 6. We're going to call it like the after school or something. And um, this guy, Gord Wolvett, was working there during during that time and so I was going to split it with him he'd do two days a week and I did three of the zone and um, that's how it started and it was like a six month contract and I didn't know where that was going to go and it ended up being like 11 years of my life so as time went on with the block I mean get any how much creative input did you have with it if any I mean how, how, how did that work this is like this will answer your question so when we first started the zone it was in this building in uh, it was in this building, and the studio was this tiny, uh, it's, a, it's supposed to be an office. The cameraman had the camera, like, right up against his chest, and his back was against the wall. I was at this desk. It was so cramped. The producer was this guy named Bob, and he wasn't even there when we did it. I would just go in the room. The cameraman would be there. I'd have an earpiece, and I'd hear the master control guy. And then there would be, like, a, a bulletin board with, like, a pin on a piece, on a sheet. And the sheet would say something like, um... Don't forget to mention the Winnipeg Something Something Festival on July 16th. And then I had six minutes to do this. And so you just talked. Like, I'd read mail and I'd come up with stuff. Like, it was totally, you know, there really was no direction when I first started because it was this experiment, you know. Randy, talk to me. You're not saying anything. <laughs> Tell me you're there. I, I'm definitely here. How, how did that change over time? Like, as the block, I assume, got more popular, how did the, how did... Uh, your creative input change or develop over time? Um, it it did. Like um, then I would. God, it's 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 hard to remember because, um, well, creatively a lot of it depended. Okay, let's let's start from the beginning. Creatively, a lot of it depended on um, the puppets when they first brought in those grogs. Because then that the, the creative then went to them, because, like, or between like the the puppets and the host. Because when you were just a host alone, and that was only for a short period of time. Um, before those grogs came. Uh, like I said, it was like reading letters. I, I really didn't know what to do. When they came in, then it became more creative because then you have these puppeteers there and then there's a relationship there and it was, then it was more collaborative. But it was really that. It was, that was the thing. Like when, when the puppets were there, it was really kind of uh, driven that way. Um, and I remember when, when it, that whole time through the grogs and, and there was that real popular time when you, remember, you guys remember Warren? Oh yeah, I remember. Mm -hmm. I remember. I remember WTV. I really thought that was going to stick. 
Yeah, that was the first one that hit. Like, yeah. I remember. And it was because he was like Oscar the Grouch. And then YTV was so nervous about it. They were like, ooh, it seems so negative. And like, <laughs> when, when the numbers were going up for this thing, like, they loved that he would insult me and I'd be like, you know, and I'd insult him. You guys fucking love that. Like, it was, uh, and why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? It's funny. Like, it's, it's, it's drama. It's two heads butting heads, you know, two people butting heads. Like, I remember you once said that green was the most unlikable color. Did I say that? You did say that. I think you had stats to back it up, too. It's so funny. I hear it was so stories. cruel, but it was it was great. Yeah, he's like, shut up, and you know, it's so funny, dude. And and we were really friends. Like the guy who did that, like we were friends back then. We went to, you know, we go to martial arts class together. Like, but but when we we're on, it was this great. We got to insult each other and bug each other, and that was the beginning, sort of. Um, you know, I don't know. It was like because then, then I think that's really when the zone changed. I have to say, I think that was a turning point because it was like now, now you could not be nervous about um, presenting sort of weird ideas to the brass because they were they were always so afraid. But as something like that was successful, that Warren thing, then they they were a little more like they bent more because it meant like listen, you can't you can't argue with marketing when marketing's saying wow the numbers are up and we're making more money and. You know, so it was amazing. Like, so it started to get a little bit more adult, a little bit more loose. You know, and uh, and then when the grogs were gone, it was funny. I was, because I was in my twenties, and I'm like, oh, I'm talking to puppets for a living. Like this, I'll never get laid from this. You know, so I was like, so when the grogs were gone, I felt like Pinocchio. Like, oh my god, like I can finally be a real boy. You know, like a, like a like an adult. I wanted to have like a talk show. Right? Yeah. You know, and and then they brought Snit, and I was so mad. I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I, I asked some people to submit questions that they might want me to ask. And by oh. far, most people wanted to know, you know, about your, about what it was like working with Snit. I, I say, fuck that. I want to hear more about Elvase. Oh, Elvase. I, I can't believe how much, how much mileage you guys got out of that. Elvase. And that was right at the end, man. You know, that was yeah. me. That was Paul and I. That's when we were sharing the hosting duties. Cause, and I joked to Paul about this. Like, he shared the zone with me, and I was ready to leave. So I was like, but I was bugged him because, like, all his shows always got canceled. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd call it the egg zone. Remember the breakfast zone? I'd be like, the egg zone got canceled. And then... the, bre- the breakfast zone was so weird because it, it wasn't the block. that they, they kind of sold it as a show where they cut up other shows inside and... And, and showed it continuously. Yeah. I don't understand what the deal with that was. I think, well, they tried to do a morning show of the zone. I don't think morning shows work with kids as well as it does adults. And unfortunately, and Paul's great on air. He's really straight, but he's really great. And and I don't think he ever got the connection with his co-hosts. And, uh, you know, and you guys are actually bringing this out. Like, I never even thought about this. Uh, but he, he was with PJ Jen. And I don't think they got along. In fact, I know they didn't get along. <laughs> so that didn't work. And I think he had Ashna. And that, that was just, there was no, you know, he never had the good, like, I, I remember, electricity. I remember know? it was a little forced. Yeah, you yeah. know, if, you, if those two don't get along, there's, no, there's nothing between them. It's just no good. And then I think, then they tried doing this thing called The Shift. Do you remember this? Uh, called The Shift. I remember Shift, yeah. Yeah, it was like a late night, so it was like the zone after the zone or something. And I'd be like, going, oh my god, good luck with the ship, buddy, bye. And, uh, <laughs> and that didn't last long, and it was him and Ashna again, you know, so it was like, or him and Jenny, like, they tried all these things, but he could never, 
you know, get that co-host where it worked. And whereas, like, I had that thing with Warren, and then I had that thing with Snit. Like, we had a good rapport, you know. Um, that's, I think you sort of needed that. It's funny, I, yeah, like I said, that's amazing. I've never even thought about these things. But, um, yeah, so Elvez, I don't know, I, I, I'm off on a tangent. But, okay, let's, let's talk about Elvez. Elvez was, during that time of the zone, and this is really interesting. So, yeah, Paul kept having to, like, find jobs within my TV because, anyway. <laughs> I got like, I'm a bad idiot. Hey, he's, I think he's still at Chorus, isn't he working at Oh, CMT? listen, he's lasted. He's, oh, yeah, he's, he's on a, air he's, he's on CMT now, I think, or has been for I'm, quite a while. We're, yeah, we're all surprised. He lasted longer than everybody, really, like, on air. Like, who... Who stays on air that long? It's amazing, you know, like, and we both left at one point, and he went to CTV for a bit, but then he came back, and he still managed to stay on in front of the camera, you know, not like that I did, you know, it's not, but, and if you understand my situation, like, that's not a thing to me, like, to stay on camera, like, everyone's like, it's so funny, I was like, what happened to him, assuming that everybody wants to stay on camera forever, and that's the only answer to life, like, it's not, you know, I can get into that later, but, so he's managed and he's good, and um, and he's and we're still friends. We're still really close. Like we play tennis. I just saw him like you know a couple of weeks ago. Um, so so at the time of the, that that time of during Elvez and the Zone. So Paul's job was to half co-host with me, and he and he was actually producing the Zone, which is a you know he made you know he had to organize and figure out what we we're doing, which was great. The less for me to do, you know. So. He, he he came up with the idea and he saw it out and we kind of ripped it off Conan um, where <laughs> right, right, um, yeah. yeah right the, the statue with the with the mount so he's like we're gonna do this and I said all right and um, so the, the day comes and this is how unprepared it was it was like you know we didn't like he goes you interview me and I'll interview you it wasn't like here's the set set of questions we're gonna, you know so that's how Elvis started. It was his idea to put them and just copy Conan. So we put this thing on, and I w- he was the first one to interview the statue on the first segment. No, no, I was. I was. So I, I interviewed this thing, and, and it's Paul trying if, to If do, anybody's like, not clear, it's Elvis was like an Elvis bust with someone's mouth superimposed over top of it. And th- th- this guy made, uh, or this thing made quite a few appearances on the block. Yeah, it did, because it, it got really popular, because it was funny. Anyways, so I, I always tell this story, because I'm asked about it all the time. So so I'm the first to interview the statue, and it's Paul trying to do, like, an Elvis impression, which is, like, this is what you expect, right? You know? And, and you, you can't really go anywhere from there. You know what I mean? And that's there's, that's, it's kind of a comedy killer. Like, of course the Elvis statue's going to talk like Elvis, you know? Like, bleh. So, and I interviewed him, and it didn't, it wasn't, it was okay, you know what I mean? I tried to make it funny, but it was like him, I'm like, hey, Elvis, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm on fire. That's all he could say was, I'm on fire, I'm on fire. Like, okay, okay. So, and, and my thing with Paul, whenever we're on the air, and he knows this, and if you ever talk to him, like, the thing about our rapport was, I was always trying to make him laugh, uncontrollably, like, to the point where he couldn't talk. Like, that was the goal. Okay, so, because I just like to fuck him up, <laughs> you know, and so that was our thing. So, so I didn't tell him this, but I was just going to, I wasn't doing the Elvis voice. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So, so he doesn't know, because it's not planned. He doesn't know what I'm going to do. He sits down with this thing. We're going live, by the way, right? This is when it was still live. So it was live. I was never. Oh. I was never sure if it was live to tape or actually live. Well, sometimes it was. Sometimes it wasn't. Like, in, po- in my time zone, it was always live to tape, of right. course. But over there, it was actually. Yes. Yeah. So if we said fuck shit, you wouldn't hear it. 
that, that's the only thing. Out east, it would play. So um, I didn't tell him what I was going to do, and I was—I thought it was a dumb idea anyway. So like, okay, here's an opportunity to for me to screw Paul up again. So he he goes, "Hey, Elvis, um, how are you?" And I think I wanted to say like, "Well, I've been gone for a long time. I'm back, and there there have been a few changes." And I, but I, because I was speaking in a German accent, and that's what I was trying to say to him. But I, I think it came out like, um, "Hey, Paul, or, or many changes, Paul. Long time." That's all I said like, in this weird <laughs> voice, and he didn't know. He was gonna, he was expecting like some draw, but like many changes, Paul. Long time. And he, if you see, God, and I wish I had the tape, or if anyone has that tape of the, this first day of Alves, I don't know where it would be. It would be fucking great if we could get it. He I am looked, sure that there are people who have entire libraries of just every zone segment cataloged in their basement somewhere. All you listeners, yeah. man, if you yeah. could find this first day of Alves, it's like, it's, um, it'll be amazing. Like, I'd love to see it because when I do this voice and I just make this gibberish, he looks at the statue like... And he goes in this laughing fit where he can't even speak. And then I get in one that we both can't speak. And it's probably about like 30 seconds of dead air, which was like totally the point, you know. But like this was like a really good one because I'd made him laugh before. But this one was just nuts. Like we couldn't talk, <laughs> you know, like it was so good. And that's how it started. It was always just me. And he'd get mad because even after that, like, Elvis became, I just wanted to do what the hell I wanted to do. Meaning, like, if I was into, like, uh, Dean Martin or, or Danny Kaye, the actor from the, the, the 50s or whatever, I would talk about it. And he'd always get mad, like, they don't know what you're talking about. You know, like, you know, like when I was hanging out with Jerry Lewis in L.A. at the Derby Club, like, bringing up all these weird references <laughs> that the kids wouldn't understand. He gets so mad. So that's what Elvis was to be, like, like talking about, like, 50s era, you know. And me and Tony Curtis were swimming in a pool with Natalie Wood. <laughs> he'd be like, what the fuck? Why are you talking about that? He'd be, he'd be so mad. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's what Elvis became. And for some reason, like you said, like, it was, it was really great. So why was it great? Because... I don't know, because it was really off off the beaten path. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I was intentionally making it, like, just fuck this. I'm bored. I've been at this job for 11 years. I need to entertain myself. And this is what I'm going to do. I don't care. I don't care that they don't know who Danny Kaye is. This is what I'm into, and this is what I'm talking about. You know? Yeah, like like I said, the intentions were, A, for me to just fuck with Paul. Like, But those come out great, you know what I mean? Like, so I wasn't thinking, you know what? What is what I'm going to do? I'm going to influence these kids because I have a responsibility. Like, <laughs> like, at all, man. I was like, oh, fuck, what are you going to do today? Like, I didn't even think about it. Like, not that I didn't care, but you know what I mean? Like, No focus groups involved success. at all. Yeah, I hated that, you know, like... Do you have to deal with focus groups or anything like that ever? Oh, dude, like, um, with certain things, it was always, like, there was always, like, typical butting heads with management over stuff like that. Like, they would would hire these focus groups to see what kind of hat we were going to make the zone hat. You know, is it going to be this shallow beaked one with the leather strap, or is it going to be... I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you don't realize that what we say goes, you know... And if you don't take that attitude, like, there's, you'll never take a risk and you'll never be able to entertain people. You, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, if it, you have to be the leader. 
You don't sit there and go, well, what's going to... And I think that's what's going on today. I think everyone's concerned with, oh, what's, 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 you know, what's, we need to take a focus group. Instead of someone saying, fuck this, I want to do a show about records. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, well, what are they interested in? Who gives a shit? We're going to tell them what they need to be interested in. Do you know what I mean? If you have the right people doing that, then you got something. You know, you need someone to take the reins. Yeah, well, that, Just that... like... That kind of colonization can be kind of inevitable sometimes, unfortunately, when it comes but to it, just down anything. Yeah, but there's no growth there. You know, if there's not one leading the masses, the masses are not going anywhere. Yeah, which is you know, which is why we're seeing we we, we have seen so much sort of off the cuffness and and rawness and you know YouTube celebrities and and. And all that's where stuff. you have to go to get it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. but but I mean, even that is getting clamped down on as we see more advertisers moving into YouTube and whenever whenever, whenever something's around long enough, uh, I mean, you know, it's going to get advertisers are going to get more involved, focus groups are going to get more involved. There's going to be more. Yeah, well, because they need to make yeah. money. Yeah, money and the money's spread really, really thin now. You know, delivery of entertainment isn't just television anymore. You know, this era that you guys are talking about. A, it was only television and magazines, if you can remember, right? Mm-hmm. And B, it wasn't that much. Like I remember when I first started reading YTV, I was like channel twenty five. Like it was so high up in the register. I was like, people won't even know that that channel exists. <laughs> you know, like I was like, do they even know that the channels go that high? Like. So you look at the, the, the landscape now, it's just like the, the delivery of entertainment, how quick it is. It's just, I think it really fucked everything up. <laughs> you know, it's hard. Like, it's, 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 it's a generation of uh, pull media as opposed to push media, which is, right, like pull media is you ordering something, you know, tailor-made. And push media is this is what you should see. Um, this is what we think, you know, uh, this is another show I think you should see, you know. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that's the whole appeal to broadcasting. That's the whole function of broadcasting. I think people are losing sight of that. They keep talking about you know limitless selection and online streaming and things like that as the as the future. I'm just like you know, yeah. do, do you really want that much choice? Well, this is the problem, and this yeah. is what I think people don't think about is you create that and great. So here here you go. Here's a fucking lonely life where you can't relate to anybody mm-hmm. because you, you binge watch this show and nobody else did and you're mm-hmm. sitting at the coffee maker and you have no, nothing to talk about. And you, and there's no interaction. You know, like there's it's 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 eliminated like interacting like human interactions already bad, but let's do this now. You know, you know what I mean? Like with entertainment. So now you guys can't even fucking talk about this thing or sort of like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not bringing, like, think about it when there's only 30 channels, everybody shared that. Yeah. You know, now everybody's sharing it, this. It fills, a, it fills a really specific kind of cultural void. And, you know, when you just, when you think, you know, maybe it sounds kind of authoritarian, but you know, when you think, you know what you want and just go for that all the time, I mean, you're never gonna, you're, you're never gonna get surprised. You're never going to get sort of inspired in ways you didn't expect yeah and and um yeah and it's it's hard to now instead of just sitting there and having something introduced to you you're going okay now what else do i want you're sitting there looking at you're looking in the universe through the stars and it's like which star should i take like you're sitting for hours you know and and the internet added all this time of you, you need to spend you know out of your day right but it didn't give you more hours in your day. Like, it, before the internet, it was already full. Like, you played baseball, you, you know, you... But now, it's just like, okay, let's give six hours of the day away to the internet. But you're just sitting there by yourself, really, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
so like now we like I think there's there's a loss of a lot of things. There there are holes in people's lives, and they don't know how to you know to fill them, and they don't know to just go to the public pool or go play tennis with each other, or or you know, like at least I think this medium needs to bring people together more instead of separating. Like it's it's trying to bring I don't know it's tough like what's your opinion like we're all alone out there in a weird way on the internet like you're by yourself. Well, like personally, I, I've uh, like anime isn't the po- most popular interest, but like I've managed to find a group in my city that that uh, enjoys the same things, and then uh, across the internet, I've met a lot of people. Uh, across the states like in person a lot and that was really interesting too so like that's good yeah like like the community exists it's just it takes so much more effort to do so and like and like the segmentation uh is kind of a cause of that sorry isn't it more fun like when you get together at the conventions though and you finally get mm-hmm. to like it is, each other. It is. Oh, really, yeah. that's the best part of it yeah. like that's yeah. the payoff to to get to that kind to get that kind of engagement you, you have to you have to go out on more of a limb than than maybe you used to. I, I was going to talk about the the content on YTV and how sort of the guy, the way you guys engaged with it, I think, uh, exposed a lot of things about shows or inspired people to engage with programming in ways they didn't before. Specifically with things like anime. I mean, you wouldn't just show Sailor Moon. You guys would kind of dig under the surface and explain, well, this is anime. This is this is from Japan. It's from this this greater kind of medium showing new ways that people can engage with with uh with content did you did you feel involved with the content that you ran like during the block or on ytv and stuff uh i mean did you feel like you were bringing it more to life getting people more engaged with it rather than just sort of presenting it straight um you know i wonder if it was more to tell you the truth like money driven to be like that if you noticed like we were always sort of driven by the more popular things. Like if we were going to do a con, you know, like we would always attach to like, you know, oh, Sailor Moon's really big or the Power Rangers, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think generally, just even just having us on in between the shows just made you think like, like, and I don't know how you guys grew up if you had brothers or sisters, but what I did notice was only kid, only children. It was big to them because there was like a big brother you know, or a big sister, like, watching with you. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there was that, you know. Um, and it was almost like the TV version of the internet. Like, yeah, let's let's call it that. Like, when something mm-hmm. was trending, you know what I mean? Yeah, we, we would get more involved. Because if, if, like, then, you know, we're li- reading emails at that point now, or mail, and um, it would always be about Sailor Moon. So, of course, <laughs> we would, you know, if that's what was trending, you know, um, we, we would interact with it because we would we would have to because you guys would want to talk about it and you guys would be watching it. It was just like this sort of natural sort of uh, a way of doing it. So was that something you would like have to do more research into yourself or like because I remember when you were uh, at the con you're saying that you didn't watch the shows too often. Uh, so like would you do research for a show like that or would you like have producers tell you or what would happen for that? Um, I think you would sort of naturally um, get into it because I mean, if you guys were really into Sailor Moon, that means it was actually good for a reason. And then we'd actually watch, you know, the, the good shows were the good shows, mm-hmm. you know? So it wasn't, but it wasn't like intentionally like, Oh, let's, 
you know, you would just naturally get into it because you guys would be into it. Do you know what I mean? So all of a sudden now my, my world around me is like Sailor Moon or, or, <laughs> or Power Rangers, you know. And there's like controversies too with shit like that. It was like um, I remember when yeah CBSC pulled uh, pulled Power Rangers from or banned it from Canadian airwaves, and there was a big, yeah. there was a big hoopla about that. Well, it was because oh kids are beating each other up, you know, because of the Power Rangers. I remember Pogs. Kids are gambling. <laughs> kids are gambling at school. Wow, I don't remember that one. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. We had to deal with that. Like, kids are gambling <laughs> at school. You know what I mean? So there's always these controversies. Like, you know, but it, but, but it was and I always like if it was a shitty show, like, you know, it wouldn't have a controversy. But if it was a big show, you know, it would because you'd all be doing it. And then that's where the attention comes from. You know, that was the original, you know, trend, what's trending kind of thing. Right. Mm hmm. I think it would apply a lot more to something like the anti-gravity room where you really got to go in depth with things like indie comics and, and anime and, and video games and, and that kind of stuff. I actually love that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it was an interesting show because it started as a public access show created by Nick Scholar. And then it turned into this YTV sci-fi co-production, which is weird because, you know, it aired on sci-fi in the States. So it was being delivered to an audience that, you know, more or less was already familiar with that kind of thing. But on YTV... You're, you're exposing this content to people for the first time. You're explaining what these things are for the first time. I, I remember this is the first, the first I ever heard of, of most indie comics I, I, or something like that. Uh, and that's you know, where I learned what anime was. I mean, how did that, how did that whole show come about? What was, how, how did you get involved with that? That, like you said, that, that really came from Nick Schoolar. He had this cable show in New York. And what happened was the guy who wanted to do the show was working at this place called Fremantle and they were just a distribution company at the time they owned shows and sold shows but in the 90s they got really big because they had the rights to Baywatch and if you remember Baywatch just fucking just exploded right yeah. it was like mm -hmm. the number one watched show in the world you know all over the world so they wanted to get into producing and for some reason this guy Josh Braun um was really, uh, not for some reason, but he was really into comics and he wanted to do the show with this kid because it was like, you know, who's doing a show about comic books, you know, probably just this kid back then. So, um, they, they came to YTV for some reason because they, although they had the money, they didn't have the production experience, right? So what mm -hmm. YTV did was, okay, we'll do a co-pro and blah, blah, they worked out that deal, right? Where the, where Canada would pretty much, um, handle like the whole production part, really, like the whole team was Canadian. You know, the American people were Nick Schoolar and this guy Josh, and then the owner of the uh, company at the time, Keith Talbot. And those were the only three people involved from Fremantle. And um, Canada took on the whole job of putting that show together. And they added me, right, to give it the Canadian thing. Um, and that's how that show came about. And it, it was great. Like, wow, like, that was the first time, like, just had that American connection. I remember at one time during the anti-gravity room, it was like they were going to, like I got invited to, you know, like how every, every year, like USA Network will introduce its new shows for the, for the season kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, um, uh, yeah. So I got, they, they flew me out to New York, like, and put me up in this suite in Manhattan just to go to a party, dude. Like I was like, whoa, like, you know what I mean? So that was that was a great show. It was a fun show to work on, and I was constantly traveling in the states. Like, so that was fun for conventions and everything. 
Um, lo- looking back, you know, whether now or in the 90s, I mean, are there any particular, you know, comic books, games, anime that, that you like and still love? Or, I mean, what what are you into now? Dude, I gotta tell you, it's kind of boring. I'm kind of boring right now. Like, <laughs> the, as far as the anime and the... I don't know, like, I, I kind of... Or anything, comics, games. Yeah, or I jump from thing to thing. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, like, I, I mean, when you when you turn it into work... Yeah. You mm-hmm. sort of... And, and my, in my personality, I'll jump from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm 44 years old now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you can imagine how much anime I experienced in that, <laughs> you know, and how many comics. And then, but it wasn't even just like me collecting comics. It was, it was just, I was inundated with comics from boom, 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 boom. It wasn't just me collecting comics. It was like hanging out with comic people, interviewing comic artists, and then getting involved, like, reviewing video games, playing video games all the time. Like... So that that stuff, it kind of killed it for me in that, like, mm, I'm going to move on, you know? So I don't play, like, I, mm-hmm. I don't mean to disappoint people, but, you know, video games, no, comics, not really, anime, not really. I try and stay healthy, I play tennis. You know, that was my new thing I geeked out on, and I bought a tennis racket stringer and strung tennis rackets, and, you know, if you knew my life, like, after YTV, I got on this kick where I would just do something for a while and then jump to another thing, because... I just kind of wanted to do it all, like, you know, especially after starting your career off at one place, like, when you're 20 years old, in the same place for 11 years, it does something to you, you know, because after you leave that, then you're like, okay, well, I can do anything now, and then I have been. So, you guys, you and Paul left the station in, it was 2001, was it, or was it a little yeah, before that? Yeah, it was 2000, 2001, um... Like, we both officially left in 2001, but um, I think I stayed on to do, yeah, that, that gamer show. That's what mm-hmm. that was. At one point, I was at YTV just doing gamers. Yeah. Were you, were you involved in getting that show off the ground, or did they just ask you to, to be one of the hosts? Yeah, it was, it was like, okay, like, we did Anti-Gravity Room. Then we did the new anti, the Canadian Anti-Gravity Room. Now we're just going to do just video games of the Anti-Gravity Room, <laughs> and we're going to bring in a girl. And that's what that was, <laughs> you know, like, now we're going to bring a girl in. <laughs> so, uh, well, not that they, they did have a girl before, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what happened there with that. So it was just really the anti-gravity room with video games, <laughs> just video games. But it was still, it was still interesting because like, to me, like, that's why I, I put it in the, that grouping because the people that did that show were the same people who did anti-gravity room and war. Yeah. Yeah. And... In, in terms of sort of departing from the station, uh, was that a personal choice or, you know, were you guys feeling kind of, kind of forced out as YTV was, was shifting their, their marketing focus? Um, it was actually really like my choice. I was actually the, the last year I did YTV, I wasn't even supposed to be there. I, <laughs> I was so ready to go and, and grow up and be a real boy, you know, um, to the point where that I remember the, I went in to, for contract negotiations after the, I wanted to be my last year. Um, I, it was, I was split because I really wanted to leave, you know. So I remember I gave them this exorbitant amount of money, like, to, like of how much money I wanted. Because I thought they'd say no for sure. Like, I had nothing, I seriously had nothing to lose, right? Like, I was like, well, at least if they say yes, I'll be making this kind of money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and then they I gave, <laughs> I gave her the, the the figure, and she goes, she was shocked. She, my boss, she was like, oh, um, 
I, I'm gonna have to ask. And she left the <laughs> office, and I was like, I was like, oh, good. Like, I think this is it. I'll finally get to, you know. She came back and like, okay. And I was all, my heart kind of sank. I was like, oh my god, like another year, you know. So yeah, it was it was my choice, believe it or not. But and and then that year, I could. That's the year I totally saw it going to where it was going to go because the internet now was no joke. Like you could see, they're going to start building the website, and, and even they said like, and it's it's going to get more character driven, you know, like it's going to get more puppety or you know, like, and so I was like, oh no, absolutely not, you know. I could have I could have kept going, I could have kept going, you know. And then the last year, I said this is. A, like, there wasn't even going to be, like, even asking me to come back, you know. Like, they knew, and that was it. And we, we had this huge party, and it was great. <laughs> you still feel but, that, uh, dur- like, during your time that you left sort of a lasting impression on the way youth television, at least in Canada, has continued to go? Or do you think it's kind of straight away from, you know, the kind of stuff you like to do? Oh, totally straight away. Yeah. I mean, look at look at where we are now. Like I said, Entertainment Tonight hands and like, um, I, I like I don't want to name names, but really, like, look at TV hosts now. You know, with exception of like those two guys on Sportsnet that eventually got taken away to the states, they were funny. You remember those two guys? Like, they'd have this funny banter. Like, it's all just kind of bullshit now. It's mm-hmm. it's not entertaining. TV hosts aren't in it. You don't watch for the hosts anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Definitely. You, you you definitely see more cynical detachment than you did during the sort of frontier years of of cable programming when they'll just throw on anything that and, and see if it works and roll with it as long as they could. Yeah, you know, like these entertainment hosts. Like, do you do, like do you have any sense of what they're about? Like, do you have any sense of like what kind of music they listen to or what they like to? You know, like who are they? You don't know. Sometimes you don't want to know. <laughs> well, now these ones, yeah, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm disappointed. Like it's like it's, you know. I think I don't know if it, that was the last chance for us to have that. I don't know. But I loved what I did. I didn't know what I was going to say. You know, um, especially at the end. Sometimes I'd have six minutes, and we'd be in a hard count, like ten seconds, and I'd be asking Snid or whoever, like, uh, "What do you want to do? What do you want to talk about? You know, uh, do you want to talk about a movie? Uh, all right, we're back. And uh, hey, what movies did you see? You know, it was like it was like that." And I just wanted to see where the con- you just see where the con- you just let the conversation go, and then you'd end it, and then say coming up next, you know, like that that doesn't happen anymore, never. Earlier, never. I kind I kind of cut you off when you were when you were expressing your disdain of Snit. No, I, I didn't even get to. Them. <laughs> oh no, but um, like me and him became great friends. We're still friends. Um, oh, sorry, what, what was the name of the guy who ran Snit again? His name was Atul Rao. Yeah, He's yeah. this interesting guy. He's a bit older than me. He used to write Care Bear scripts in the 80s. So he's a writer. Yeah. You know, and um, right now he's a, he's a professor at Mohawk College, um, Professor Rao, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, like I like. Does he tell his know, students that he was Snit? I wonder. I think he does. <laughs> of course he does. Like, and he's still mentioned. Like, you know, oh, yeah. And he's the, like, we, we became great friends. You know, it's just that, like, when it first came, you know, like, I, I didn't know him and I, I just didn't want it. Like, he almost was, like, screwed, you know, and I've told this story before, but, like, I remember, like, right in the first days of Snit, like, I was, I was, I hated this fucking thing, man. And, and it was the only evil thing I did. I, I like it's purely evil. I took uh, a screwdriver and loosened one of the screws in his like little mechanical arm, so it would fly off when he pressed the button. You know, like <laughs> like it's so evil. Like and, 
and it happened and it did. And I was like, you know, so, but then we became great friends. And I think, you know, what, what you guys didn't know is like, I would like always try and do these kind of background jokes, you know, the behind the scenes jokes. Like he drove this Toyota and the river mirror was broken. He had it like taped up with like gaffer tape and, uh, or like duct tape and and I would talk about shit like that I would say yeah man I saw you drive in this morning like I was always trying to break the third wall we called it you know like ah, this is the puppet he's from the planet so and so like I was like no he drove a Toyota and he <laughs> <laughs> you know so I think you guys kind of got that you know I joked about shit like that I'd be like yeah you're Toyota man like what's with the rear view mirror and the duct tape ne- never once Her was day. I sold on the idea that he was actually from space yeah, you know, like I didn't, I didn't treat it like that. I didn't want to treat it like that. You know, like, so, and I remember the first day I mentioned that, like, about his car, he was laughing so much, like, you know, like, oh my God, what are you talking like this? And, you know, no, I'm from the planet you are, or whatever. Like, no, you have a Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's why we became great friends, because I'd, like, make them laugh. We'd make each other laugh, and... You know, and we connected. He was a bit older than me. We could talk about, like, Led Zeppelin and shit like that, you know. So, yeah, we, we were great friends. We still are. So in terms of jumping from from thing to thing after you left YTV, uh, I mean, what, what what major things have you been involved with, uh, well, I guess over the last 15 years, but... Um, what do you mean, since, since, since I left? Since you left YTV. Uh, uh, if I could give you, like, the short version yeah. of the story, okay? Yeah. So I left, became an actor, but I wasn't an actor. Like, I totally fucking stunk. Like, I didn't go to drama. You know, like, I wasn't drama in school. And But I was on air, and I could get an agent, so it's like, I'm going to act. You know, that arrogant, you know, I'm on air, I'm going to be an actor, you know? And I I booked stuff. Listen, I, I booked a ton of things. Like, I, I was in the Ladies' Man movie, the Saturday Night Live movie with... Uh, you know, you know, can I think Will? You know, uh, you know. Anyway, I remember so, that I, being a thing that was out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm in that movie. Just these small roles. This is what you get in Canada. Like I was making out with this girl. Like that's all I had to do. Like for for a scene. You know, that was a great job. You get paid fifteen hundred bucks. You know, to make out with this chick uh-huh. for like ten minutes. It was, <laughs> it was great. So I was I was on a regular relic hunter. I did a, an episode, a, coast, a guest starring role on um, uh, uh, what was it, The Adventures of Shirley Holmes. And it wasn't until like so I and and two two seasons of a Nickel, Nickelodeon cartoon called Pelswick. I did his his friend Ace. You know, um, yeah, yeah, that was a great game. That was the John Callahan show. Yeah, exactly. So I was on that. So I was acting, you know. But then I booked this um, movie of the week for VH1. And I actually have the DVD because I found it when I when I was living in LA later. But um, and I think I had this one line, and and I remember at the time, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels was popular, and everyone was doing their bad Cockney accents, and I I did it in like that during rehearsal, and the director was like, "That's great, you should do it like that." And, and I remember shooting it, and then I went to a screening of the movie, and. Um, all I remember is I, my face comes up and this is all you're Oi, mate, I don't like that. I was so fucking embarrassed. And I was like, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm quitting acting. I was, you know, so I quit. I moved to the States because um, I was like, okay, I'm going to try the L.A. thing. And honestly, when I got there, so now you're in a country, nobody knows who you are. And I'm like, fuck, I could do whatever I want to do. You know what I mean? And I'm away from my family. I'm away from everybody. And the first thing I did was join a band. 
I was 33 years old, and I wanted to be in Guns N' Roses when I was 17. That died when I got my TV job, and then metal died. And I was like, oh, gone forever. So uh, 33, um, this friend of mine who I knew from Stomp, and I only knew them because I interviewed them in Canada. Now, I lived in the States, and they were all living in L.A., so they were like a great big group of my friends. So this guy was uh, in Stomp was also a drummer for this band. And they were like a semi-popular um, goth industrial band, like a Nine Inch Nails band called Raised in Black. Yeah. So when I moved there, I joined this band. I went on tour for two and a half months. It's an amazing experience, you know? Like, all of a sudden, I'm 33, and I get to be a rock star, and I always wanted to be a rock Now I'm on stage, and, you know, like... I did that, and then I got addicted to this kind of lifestyle. So now I'm in LA, and I, but and I was still trying to pursue TV and stuff. I had an agent, like one of the top agents in LA. Like uh, they're called ICM. They're like number three. You know, there was uh, William Morris, CAA, and ICM. So I was with ICM. Um, I, I remember getting auditions for Peter Jackson's King Kong and Pete Cho sitting next to me at the audition. You know, um, Harold and Kumar. Is that his name, Pete Cho? Like or some Cho? Like John anyways. Cho. John Cho, I think. John Cho, yeah. so John, Cho, you know, so, you know, so I was doing that in L.A., and then the next thing I was doing, like, I was, I was doing stand-up, I, I performed on, like, those big stages, man, like, on, on Amateur Night, of course, but, like, the Comedy Store, I did a night, like, I did the Comedy Store, I did um, the Laugh Resort, is that it, or the Laugh Factory on Sunset, which is a big one, like, you know, Chris Rock's there, and Jerry Seinfeld, like, you know, and remember when Kramer got in that trouble when he said the n-word and like that's oh yeah the stage. i remember that <laughs> I, yeah i did that that's the stage like that was the last stage i did i did the improv on melrose like all the big clubs so i you know i had that and i was i was doing that and then i started a fashion line believe it or not you know i, I, I didn't I, hear i never heard about that part okay so the story about that was i was on hollywood boulevard i was living in hollywood at the time and there's this homeless guy who's selling DVDs. I said, for five bucks each. And I was like, what do you got? And he said, I have these. And there's this Iron Maiden DVD. So I, I was like, okay, give that to me because I was, you know, I'm a metal fan. So I'm watching this Iron Maiden DVD and there's a documentary on the extras, like an old documentary from the 80s about Iron Maiden. And, and, it, and it was about the new wave of British heavy metal in the early 80s in England. And Iron Maiden was a part of it. And these kids would have those vests with the studs on them. You know, and, and you see those studs everywhere now, right? In fashion, like on wallet cases and fucking shoes. And so this is 2000 and I'd like to say 2003, you know, 2004. So I made me one of those jackets, but I made it like perfect. Like I figured out how to put the studs in anywhere I wanted. And I put Iron Maiden on the back and I put Swarovski crystals on the, you know. So I was wearing this around L.A. And it was always celebrities coming up to me and saying, where'd you get that jacket? You know, because they're always looking, because I would walk into these parties and not give a shit. Like I was poor, right? So, you know, like I was doing the struggling LA thing. So I'd buy all my clothes at like Goodwill and I somehow, you know, put together like my looks, you know, and I, I, I had just come off of a, um, a reality show in the States that I, that I did called Style Me with Rachel Hunter. So that was a bit in the fashion. And, um, yeah, that's a whole other story. So this, so that's, that's how it started. And in LA, you're always hustling. So they'd come up to me about the jacket and, and they'd say, where do you get the jacket? And I'd say, oh, I'm, I made this. And, and they'd ask, oh, are you a fashion designer? And the answer is always, yes. You know what I mean? It's Paris Hilton, like, yes. You know, so that started in this, this, um, guy, um, noticed this was happening and he'd see me at all these parties. He's like, Oh, and, and he did fashion PR. So I had a PR guy that, you know, so 
I eventually had a, a fashion show in Hollywood, and I was going to these parties with like Paris Hilton. Like I'd see her around, and hey, Paris, like Nicole Richie, like, and I was getting. And I had one celebrity client. I ended up being her stylist, um, Lil Mama. She was like a little rapper, and she was a judge on America's Best Dance Crew, that Randy Jackson show. And all of a sudden now, like, I'm, I have my Warner Brothers pass. I'm in her trailer, like, making her clothes. Like, it was fucking awesome, dude. Like, I, I you, found, you were like, living the real L.A. dream at that point. Yeah, like, yeah. I was reinventing myself. Like, I'm a fucking host. Like, what the hell? Like, and, I, <laughs> and then when I had the fashion shows, like, I had to find models, and I never did a fashion show before. So, like, I got addicted to this life where, like, I fucking want to do whatever I want. And I'm going to do whatever I want. Do you know what I mean? So that's why, like, the video games and stuff, like, I, I got this life where I just tacked on something and did it and exhausted it. <laughs> I would go to, like, which, honestly, it, it, it doesn't lead to a lot of money and it doesn't lead to any focus. But I'm happy, you know. I've got to, like, do so many things. I've, I've honestly lived four lifetimes, you know. I was also doing hip-hop classes. That's the other thing. I took uh, hip-hop dance classes when I turned 30 years old when I was here. And when I moved to the States, I was eventually taking them from Justin Timberlake's choreographer at this, like, legendary dance place called Millennium where, you know, Britney Spears would, you know, before her tour, shut the place down and practice there. Like, you know, so L.A. was fun for me because... And I also worked at American Apparel, you know, to make money for a stretch. And I was, like, working with, like, Mexican gangsters, driving forklifts <laughs> and shipping mannequins to American Apparels all over the world, you know, like downtown L.A., <laughs> Korean gangsters. Like, it was so sick. Like, I and today you're still you're still kind of between LA and Toronto now. I understand. No, like I honestly haven't gone back there since I moved away. There's no point. Like I eventually yeah. want to be there again, but I don't want to go back until like I'm I have, like I have a steady job and a and a, and a house and uh, you know so so like I had such a long time there. You know what I mean? Like I it was it's to me it's just a whole other lifetime and a whole other like world that is a part of me and will will be there again. You know so. But it was, yeah, it was this amazing experience. Like, I, I did whatever I wanted to. I did so many things. I, I invented my, reinvented myself so many times and got success through those things. Like, even with the fashion, like, I'm not even telling you half the stories. Like, like going to Christian Audijay's 60th, uh, 50th birthday party at the Automotive Museum, you know, the one where Biggie Smalls got killed after, and Giant Party, and I'm talking to, to Polly Shore, and then... You know, Snoop Dogg's performing and Fergie's performing. It's like open bars everywhere. And then Michael Jackson shows up. It's like, you know, it was like, fuck, this life I had out there, you know. Um, just amazing. And I'll tell you, like, yeah, just, you know, this crazy sort of, and partying sort of a part of it. You're meeting all these people, like, at these parties. Like, that's how you make your connections and do business, you know. So I was, I was constantly at these amazing parties and you know, just, you know, Steve Aoki's DJing um, on top of Liberace's old apartment in L.A., you know, and there's a pool and a light sculpture and all these people and you're meeting people and they're taking your card and you're meeting these big shots from William Morris, like Britney Spears' agent. And, you know, and he's like, I love that jacket. Here's my card. Like, fuck, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I, I certainly can't relate, but I can I can very vividly visualize all of this, and it's you know, it's pretty overwhelming. 
Oh, it was it was fucking a fantastic yeah. life, and and you know, and and what I was, was you know, you're you're still only forty four. <laughs> I'm still only forty four, and the great thing, and, and and I really want everybody to know this, you know, like you got to get off this trying to be a Kardashian tip. There's no happiness there, like, you know, even even now, like, you know, I, I made a ton of money at YTV, but it, it, I I wasn't really, you know, I was happy, but. I, I learned a different kind of happy when I didn't have money. Do you know what I mean? I became kind of more free, you know? And, and in L.A., I learned freedom is, is the point of living. Like, you want to be free. Like, uh, if I could sort of explain it, like, that's why Brad Pitt can walk into, like, the, the most exclusive restaurant in L.A. and not wait. And he's wearing a T-shirt with a hole and a stain and flip-flops and a beard and looks dirty. Like, you know, that, that's freedom. You know what I mean? And, I, you know, I'd run into Scott Speedman. I knew him out there. And I'd run into him in L.A. all the time. He looked like shit. You know, he looked like a bum. And that's, you know, when they're not working, that's and, – and, and, I, and I learned that, you know. There's a way to be cool and not just be cool because you're cool and people will like that, whether they're rich or famous or poor or nobody's like for some reason, L.A. was this amazing place. Like I was shopping at Goodwill, and but I still maintained a lifestyle because I knew how to shop at Goodwill. I'd get this four hundred, I'd find a four hundred dollar espresso machine and then I'd go to this outlet place and there's Italian espresso for like a dollar, you know, so I'm doing lattes in my apartment for the girls who wake up in the morning, you know, like espresso, you know, so, and, and celebrities loved my style and I was shopping at Goodwill. Like I realized like, holy shit, you know, like I'm going to these amazing parties and I'm, I'm not rich, you know, and I'm shopping at Goodwill, like out of survival yet I can, I can surpass, you know, I don't know. It's hard to explain. You know, Toronto, you can, it's, it's not like that here. Do you know what I mean? But in L.A., it's so free out there. The things I was doing and the people I was meeting and hobnobbing with, regardless of how successful, like, I wasn't famous out there. You know what I mean? At all. Yeah, I've only, I've, I've only experienced L.A. For, for a few days, and I, I know it's not a great place to visit. It, it really seems like the place where if you... You know, if you really nudge your way into things, if if you really soak it in and and know how to get around, you can you, well, you, you can you, you can really live it up there. You know, it can be heaven and it can be hell. Like if you can get over the cliches of that place, and, and oh, you, you can get that, over them pretty fast when you, when you go to L.A. Well, you have to. Okay, first of all, because. The problem you have to not be insecure yeah but everybody's insecure out there right because it's these beautiful girls that you know yeah like like okay so there, there, there's that cliche about oh you know the girls are bitches out there they you know like you know what i mean they're stuck up and all this and like well the, here's here's the story with these girls they're like the pretty girl from kansas and they they came to la to be a star not necessarily having any talent and they have this window of time okay to make it because either they'll run out of money or or they'll age or something. You know what I mean? So if you're dating this girl and all of a sudden she gets invited on Jerry Bruckheimer's boat, she's going. And she should go. Do you know what I mean? Because she's you're in L.A. to make that happen. Like most people are in L.A. to make that dream that happen. And that dream is really the fucking lottery. You know, you're just waiting for your numbers to come up. The only time L.A. doesn't work for you is when you leave. Okay, so that's why that is. And if you think of it that way, okay, that makes sense. All right? You're always in your car by yourself. There's a reason for that. Everybody's schedule is different. You're not a nine-to-five person. You have yoga class and then an audition and then an acting class. So you're driving there by yourself. 
So it's lonely. Of course it's lonely. You know, and there's traffic because of that. There's constant traffic all the time because everybody's driving. And why is everybody driving? Well, because when L.A. first started, it would be the city of Santa Monica and the city of Hollywood and the city of, you know, and they, they had to and desert in between. So they had to connect those with freeways, you know, so and, and they eventually grew into each other. And that's why it's segregated, you know, so like it's it's if you can understand the psychology of Los Angeles, you'll get over all the bullshit because, of course, this girl's not going to, you know, she's going to leave me for her first opportunity to, you know, and she should. And so should you. Don't go to L.A. to find a husband or a wife. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a bajillion places you could go. And so that that's not a point of, of uh, complaining to me. Like, you're just not looking at this place for what it is. You know, it's so phony. Of course it is. It's fucking Hollywood. And the reason why is, is because, you know, you could be that struggling actor in your apartment. Trust me, as soon as you leave that door, you can be discovered because you'll run into Steven Spielberg at the fucking drugstore. You know, like, so, you know, people always have to be on. Like, and so, and it's hard to make friends. Why? Because you could meet your best friend there and she'll be gone in two months. Because like I said, you only have, it's a transient, it's a transient place. People are trying to make their dreams happen. They last a year. They last two months. You know, I was there for a long, long enough time to see how that works. You know, that's how L.A. is. And it's that business. So if you're in that business, that's the place to be. But there's great things about it. A, the weather, the fucking the landscape, like the oceans there, the mountains are there. There's state parks. If you want to go snowboarding in the winter, you just drive two hours to Big Bear or you could go south or you could go east into the desert, you know. Or you could take a flight to Hawaii for 350 bucks out of Burbank Airport. Like it's, and, and the rich of the world are there and the most skilled artists of the world are there. You know, and you feel like you're a part of it. Even just if you're failing in L.A., you feel successful because you're not in Kansas. So it's a weird place. And I, I really exhausted what I could. Like I, I love that town. You know, like I figured out how to work it. Like I was this poor, struggling nobody. You know, but I had the mentality that, you know, I know I, I ensconced myself in the right circles and I was doing all these great things. You know, you don't really need money. Like my apartment was $840 a month and it was a one bedroom and it was huge. And like I was living in Hollywood. Um, produce is grown out there. So vegetables, six avocados for a dollar, you know, you can survive out there. I, I know you've been doing the, the convention circuit a lot lately. Well, I'm starting it. Yeah. I'm starting it. It's a new thing. And um, really, it's like, uh, to, to tell you the truth, like, there's, there's money there. Yeah. A. Look, listen, I've been, I quit YTV in 2001, but I've been carrying this fucking ugly piece of baggage for 15 years. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that picture, it's always going to haunt you. You know, yeah. and, and so, like, I'm sitting here, like, I really don't care about money, but you sort of need it. So, okay, I'm doing a little bit for that. But I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm not going to charge a lot of money, but I have to charge, apparently, if I'm going to do autograph. So, you know, I'm going to figure out a way to not do it, um, not be stupid about it. I'm going to try and donate some to, like, local charities for every city I go to. Mm -hmm. and, you know what I mean? So, like, but it really it's because, like, there's a demand, you know, like, all these you guys and like we were talking about all these internet um lists like this is the time to you know fuck it i'm gonna go out to the rest of canada and go see everybody you know like this seems like the right time uh, and you're back in toronto now uh, i mean does that does that still feel like home to you um it's it's a little like 
you know, if you can listen to my stories about LA, it's like, I'm getting, I've been, it was nice to be back. Now I'm like, the winner's getting to me again. And so like, you know, I've been working, I, my job right now is, is that I'm working for a streaming network under vice, like, my title's great, like vice president of production when we start doing production. But right now I'm in programming and I'm working under uh, content acquisition. So we have like 35 streaming channels and I have to uh, populate those channels with content. So I'm calling distributors and trying to get shows and like working with a budget, you know. So now like I've, I've had this sort of executive career. Learning so so the it's, like, of that. it's like you're picking up television shows or creating new content to, to stream online? Um, create like we'll eventually be when we monetize, we'll be creating content. Um, right now it's just finding like content to put on the channels. There's 35 niche channels. So if you can imagine, you know, I'm finding films and series and documentaries, but because it's a startup company, you know, we don't have like Rogers money. So it's not going to be like, you know, game of Thrones. And, but what's interesting is it's free. It's totally free. Um, it's called mainstream media unplugged. And it's actually on, it's, we're, we're live right now. We're still sort of working out bugs in the uh, platform. But it's the basic idea is it's three, 35 free channels. And it's just like channel surfing, dude, up and down, right? Um, curated content, totally free. But there's going to be commercials in between the shows like you're used to. And that's the only way we make money. And that's okay, I think, with you guys if it's free. Um, but there's also like a, so we have like a sort of social media platform attached to it, wherein, and that's free as well. So if you sign up for that, if you can imagine you're watching a show and your friend in Japan's watching the same show, you can have this invisible chat window and you could chat with each other and still watch the show and hear the show. So, so you're kind of, you're kind of bringing that sense of curation and, and community building that is kind of lacking online to this new platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what we're doing with it, and um, it's a great idea. And it's it's a little tough because there's not it's 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 a single guy. It's not mm -hmm. you know, and he really loves the idea so much. Like we've gotten offered like investment, but he won't take it because he knows like they'll fuck it up once. And they and you know, listen, we were talking to this place in Vegas who want to give us money, but they want to inject some technology into the platform of theirs, you know. And it's just like no. You know, so um, it's interesting work and it's it's fun and I'm learning something new and it's and, and I'm part of like the, the underdog and this, you know, David and Goliath situation. Um, and yeah, like I, I'm in, totally enjoying that. But I'm also because it's a, like they're really good with me. It's really loose. Like if I have an audition or whatever, because I'm trying I'm I'm thinking I'm going to get back on air. There seems like everyone's like asking, like, get back on air. And, you know, I've had a long enough break from it that I can go back, you know. I mean, I mean, given that project, do, do you think there's a future for television? Do you think there's still hope? I think if there's anything, I think this could do it. You know, you can't, you can't really, you can't really change the landscape. I don't know if you can get people to go fuck mm -hmm. the internet. I'm going to stop. I'll start watching television again because like everyone's so dialed into the smartphone. Like you know, even if I didn't want a smartphone, I'd need it, or you wouldn't be able to communicate with people. You know, I think if anything, this is a great idea how to make it happen. We're still kind of working on it. But what's great is like we just we just signed on with this great distribution company called Echelon and they have um, this great prolific shitty catalog, if I may, like like 80s, like shot on video movies, you know, which like my idea for the station, you know, I want to do a VHS network. I want to do like stuff that's only available on VHS. 
and and digitize it and own it. You know what I you mean? You gotta you gotta emulate the old Fridays Without Borders stuff that we used to see on Showcase. Dude, I think, exactly. Yeah, that is that is what the people want. There is that is what the people beautiful. remember. If they remember anything more than PJ Phil, it's that. Yeah, right? Like, I, I want to do a VHS channel, you know, where it's just like, there are some of these fucking amazing movies, dude, that these, like, Hicks and Georgia shot, and you could see yeah, I know. down to act in, shot on video. Like, like Sony and shit don't own this. Like, th- th- that's the problem with what I found with my new job is there are only fucking four companies that own everything, and they control everything. You know, if you want, like, to buy Star Trek is millions of dollars. I cannot put the original Star Trek on the, you know, without paying millions of dollars, you know, and it sucks. You know what I mean? Because, because Sony will decide where that goes, you know, and they, they want to own everything. You know what I mean? So I'm like, you know what? Fuck you guys. There's content out there um, that is just as, that just as good. I think if not better that people want to see and it's not getting exposure. And you know what? Let's get some money to these guys. Like this fucking dude in Florida who came up with like this bonetics, um, like buns workout video in the eighties. And we're going to put that on, you know, and we're going to put commercials on it and he's going to get the money. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, uh, that, that is exceptional. And I am totally psyched for, for what this is going to be. It sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, it's it's so if you want to check it out, it's M as in Mary S M as in Mary again U dot M E, and it's it's thirty five and it's David and Goliath. Like go on it, you know. Like we've had to start with like um, uh, public domain stuff, so you know you know like we have like the old Captain America series from like the fucking fifties. You know, um, black and white, where it's like Captain America's like a lawyer. It's like, what? You know? Yeah. So there's interesting stuff there. And, um, and it's all available on demand as well. Like it's curated and you could just channel surf or you can actually order it. So there are bugs in the, in the system, but work your way through it and, and go check it out. MSMU.me. And there's also an app that you can get on your iPhone or Android. Same thing. MSMU. And what's really cool, and this is a cool feature about it, if you get the app on your phone and you get that free Facebook profile, you put you put the um, the the platform on your your laptop or computer, right? And um, you can go full screen, and your then your phone can act as the remote if you have the profile and and the the app, and it's all free. You know, yeah, so that's we're the trying way to, to do come it. up with something, yeah. something really cool. And like, yeah, like you should have seen the movies I fucking like uh, got from these this distributor. It's amazing. It's like all the '80s, like crappy, you know, Lorenzo Lamas adventure action, like just crappy stuff, like that good '80s stuff. You know, shot on video movies, like stuff that they have they do um, film fests of. You know, before we wrap up, Randy, did you have uh, any anything you wanted to bring up before we we finish? Uh, no, I think we covered a lot of stuff. All right. So, Phil, where can, where can the people find you? Um, like, okay, so I've been auditioning again, um, and I quote unquote acting again. I just, uh, yesterday I, I shot a investigations discovery show, like, you know, one of those crime shows, um, you know, where it's like interviews interspersed with reenactments and narration, you know, um, depicting, um, like true crime stories, like real crime stories. So um, I, I did this acting role where I'm like Filipino hitman and I have a gun and like kidnap this family and kill this cab driver. <laughs> so I shot that yesterday. It's Investigations Discovery. It's, a, it's part of the Forbidden um, 
uh, series, and uh, it's based on this, yeah, this story about this Navy guy in the States who kills his family, tries to get his family killed by Filipino assassins, and you know, so I'm, I just shot that. I'm uh, dealing with a couple of production companies for doing a show. You know how records are big? I've gotten into that right now. Oh, Actually, cool. that's my big passion right now is collecting vinyl, but I'll only do it at like Goodwills. I won't like pay $26 or But um, I do want to do a show, like a roundtable show based on records. And like what we wanted to do was put like an actor that's into records and a musician and uh, maybe a film director or, you know what I mean, or a chef. And everybody brings two records and we all drink, you know, and <laughs> sit at a table and listen to music and talk about shit and our careers and records and so there's that you know so i think i'm gonna get back on tv and somehow i don't know so that that's happening i'm pushing for that again great and you're on twitter i am on twitter at pj fresh phil um my instagram is i don't know <laughs> i don't know dude i'm 44 <laughs> uh, i do have I, they can find it <laughs> yeah i think it's pj phil on instagram and then of course my my facebook and uh yeah the convention circuit i'll be at uh, in vancouver on the weekend of july 17th for um anime con and uh, i'm gonna tr- really try for the next year to get out to the rest of canada to, to edmonton and calgary and and go revisit the fans you know all right phil well thanks a lot for coming on the show today oh absolutely man thanks guys I'm just happy I got to you before Canada Land did. Canada Land? I don't know. That guy doesn't seem that friendly. Is it me or like, I don't know. I, I know. He, that guy, he is on a, a witch hunt against yeah, the people like, at CBC. I, I Man. Yeah, I'm afraid of that guy. What does he want with me? What does he want with me? I just talk back to And that was Zonan Canada. Big thanks to Phil Guerrero for coming on the show and to Randy Forbester for swinging by. Theme song is by UltraKleistron. You can check out his stuff at ultraklystron.com. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or through the contact form at zonan.ca. If you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it. See you again.